session with Dr. Farid Hulakou. Good afternoon and welcome to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and free podcast on iTunes. Again, the studio number 310-441-0555. Before I begin, I wanted to announce my next seminar. It'll be next Sunday, not this Sunday, Sunday, June 24th from 3 to 6 p.m. at the Olympic Collection. The topic will be success. Um, very much looking forward to this seminar. I'm going to talk about what success is and what it isn't and how we sometimes have some misconceptions of what we think a successful life will be. And because of that, when we achieve what we think is success, people end up not being very happy or satisfied with their lives. So I'm going to talk about what it is and what it isn't and also how you can try to create that type of a life for yourself, a successful life. Tickets are $40 at the door at the Olympic Collection. Again, that's Sunday, June 24th from 3 to 6 p.m. Hope to see you there. Uh, I'll announce the book of the week for this week. It is a non-psychology book, science book, Astrophysics for People in a Hurry by Neil deGrasse Tyson. Um, I'd heard about this book, and it's kind of like a summary of lots of important concepts in astrophysics for people who are not scientists, and I thought that would be an interesting read, and uh, looking forward to sharing it with you next week. I've read about a quarter of it and definitely learned a lot already, but also something that I've learned more than probably information I've learned is that you see how much of our universe we don't know about, or even in what we do know, we still have so many questions to answer, but it's pretty fascinating book, so looking forward to sharing that with you next week. Um, so tomorrow... For any of you soccer fans, is the first day of the World Cup. And I am so excited about it and have been just anticipating for months the beginning of the World Cup and, and all the games. And of course, Team Iran, very excited to see them in their first game Friday. Uh, and actually, because of that, I should make a programming note next Wednesday. I won't be doing a live show because. Iran will be playing Spain at 11 a.m. Los Angeles time, and that kind of falls right when my show is. So I won't be doing a live show because I'll be watching Team Iran, hopefully uh, secure at least maybe one point if possible against Spain. Even that would be tough, but I want to see that game. So I'll be watching that. And throughout the World Cup, I might bring up lots of things that come up during the World Cup, not as a sports report, but in uh, things that are in some ways related to psychology or some of the issues that I bring up on the show. And one issue that I wanted to bring up today, there's a few I had in mind, but one that I have is that something that we will definitely see during this World Cup is we're going to see 
men cry. That's something that we can definitely expect will happen, especially in the later stages when teams get knocked out or they advance. We know that's going to happen. We, we see it happen every year or you see it happen in almost every big sports competition. And almost every time it also happens, you'll get a lot of interesting responses or reactions to that. And most of them or many of them are very negative judging them for being weak, saying it's not masculine or strong, um, using derogatory terms. I was actually talking to a friend about it just while I was driving to the studio and kind of jokingly he used the derogatory term about uh, men who cry. Uh, but he said it jokingly, but of course we know there's truth to every joke. And this is a big issue for me because I think this has a lot to do with some of the mental health issues that we have that especially affect men, but of course it could be for both men and women, but especially when it comes to men and how we have some cultural norms and gender roles or ideas that men should not express sadness or should not cry because crying is a sign of weakness and it's not masculine and therefore a man, a true man, is not going to cry. Now, first of all, this wasn't always the case. It wasn't always that men crying was seen as a sign of weakness. Even before, um, you know, there's in history books talking about when Alexander wept because I think it was, there was no more land or worlds to conquer um, or other times when men in history that were powerful men actually cried because it showed how much they cared about something. It wasn't seen as a sign of weakness, but actually a sign of strength, a sign that they actually cared so much about whatever the concept was that they were moved to tears. And I think that con conception or understanding of tears, both for men and women, but especially because we're talking about men and how they're so judged for this, is something that we hopefully can get back to, this idea that it's not a sign of weakness. In many cases, it can actually be a sign of strength, a sign of good character, that someone cares so much about something. Now, when it comes to the World Cup, I could understand for some people they can't understand why people care so much or what's the big deal. It's just a game. And to some degree, that's true. I think there is a way that it gets blown out of proportion. Even I know myself, I've been a sports fan my whole life, and sometimes my reactions shock myself because I get so into it. I remember last year I was doing a seminar on emotional intelligence, and before the game, uh, before the, sorry, before the seminar, I was watching a game between Barcelona and Real Madrid and, and Messi scored a last minute goal and he's my favorite player and I was so excited. I screamed so loud that I realized I was almost going to lose my voice and then I'd go to a seminar on emotional intelligence and have to say I can't really talk because I yelled so loud watching uh, a soccer game, which really isn't a great sign of emotional intelligence itself. So it's kind of funny. So I've seen myself have these reactions that can be seem extreme and I really get into the games. But to me, when I watch something like the World Cup, it's not just about the game. It's about the passion, the unity. It brings people together, even through competition, something similar to the Olympics, where although people are competing against one another, a lot of times it's actually a form of unity that they come together to compete, to try their best, do their best. They've prepared for years, and here they are showing the best on display. And we tend to be moved, and I always am, by the, the great signs of sportsmanship that we see. 
that although we're competing against each other in a way, we're not against each other as people. And you, you see incredible um, signs of sportsmanship that we tend to value. So the games to me mean much more than just the game itself and what, what it brings and what we see in people is very important. Actually, speaking of that, there was this amazing clip and you can find it online. Um, it was a high school baseball game and it was in to determine who was going to go to the state championship, which is a very big deal. And the pitcher and the batter apparently were childhood friends. And so the pitcher throws the, the pitch and it's a strike and it ends the game and means that they win. And his team starts celebrating and they're all jumping and they come to jump to him, but he runs straight to his friend who is now so sad because he just had a strikeout that meant that his team lost. And he hugs his friend and holds him for a few seconds to console him first before he goes to celebrate. And I thought it was such a beautiful and touching moment um, that he recognized the value of his friendship and wanting to, to console his friend first, and then he went and celebrated after the fact. I thought it was incredible, a boy who probably can't be more than 17 or 18, doing something that I don't think most grown-ups would do to have that kind of maturity, but that was remarkable. But coming back to the World Cup and the tears. So we're going to see men cry, and I hope that when we see them cry, rather than seeing it as a sign of weakness, we see it as a sign that they care so much about what they're doing and the outcome. Very often they care so much about representing their country and making their country proud, or they've been um, dreaming of winning for their country since they were a child, since they were a little boy, and here's their opportunity. And whether they make it or not, they might cry either way. They might cry tears of joy or tears of sorrow, both because they care so much. And to me, we should all be looking for things in our life that we care so much about that we would have that kind of a reaction one way or the other. We should be pushing ourselves to try to achieve things that are going to be difficult and that we won't always make it. And we work so hard and we care so much that we will care a lot if we make it or we don't make it. You study hard for a test that is very important. And then if you pass, you're going to be so excited. And if you don't pass, you might be very, very sad. But the important part is that you pushed yourself to take that test, to study, prepare, and take the test to be in the arena is what we want to do to make that choice. So we should all hope actually that we do something in our life that we care enough about that we might cry about it if we win or we lose or we make it or we don't. And when we see them cry, it's not a sign that they're weak. It's a sign that they care a lot. And to me, that's very important. And also we see the signs of sportsmanship there too. I remember in the last World Cup, you might remember, I talked about it four years ago, but uh, when Colombia lost to Brazil, James Rodriguez, a very young player who actually was one of the stars of that World Cup, and because of that, he then got signed by Real Madrid, one of the biggest uh, soccer teams in the world. Uh, he was crying after they lost, and David Luiz, a player from Brazil, went and was comforting him and consoling him and even actually, in a way, motioning to the audience, and the game was in Brazil because that World Cup was in Brazil, to clap for him, to show their appreciation to him for how well he'd played throughout the tournament. And it really was an incredible moment where, again, rather than just focusing on celebrating with their teammates, they cared about their opponents and saw them as someone who deserved consoling and deserved recognition. So I thought that was quite a nice moment. 
So throughout the World Cup, I'll talk about different things that come up, uh, definitely things related to hard work, because to me that's a very important part of any kind of event like this, that we just see the moments when they're shining, and we think that's nice and fun, but we don't realize the hard work that goes in every day to prepare themselves for that moment. It's not just the shining part that we should appreciate. We should appreciate the hard work, dedication, practice, training, playing or training when they were in pain or they didn't quite feel like it to push themselves to get to that level. That to me is what's even more worth recognizing than just what happens in that moment. So uh, if you're like me, um, hope you enjoy the World Cup. It's one of the best months every four years that we get to experience. And of course, we'll be rooting for the Iranian team. They have a tough group, but they play the games to see what happens. So let's see what they can do. But let's get to our first commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. back studio number three one zero four four one zero five 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 let's go to a caller radio hamra you're on the air hello Dr. hi uh, thanks for calling uh thank you for your productive program oh thank you uh i called you uh, a few days ago also on the program and talked to you about a dilemma situation that i created um in my relationship i don't know how much you remember I, um, Is this the one? Well, tell me before I assume. Yes. Go ahead. I talked about the um, relationship I started with the other man mm-hmm. uh, when I was still married. Yes. Uh, and told you that my husband filed for a divorce, and now it's about mm-hmm. a couple of weeks that he's back into my life. Right. And I'm facing a situation that my husband is back to my life, and I also I carried on with the relationship with the other man. Right. And from what I remember, even you had heard that the other man was considering proposing. Yes. yes, Right. And the other man also didn't know about your marriage or that this man had, that your husband had come back into your life. Okay. Yeah. So I remember, yes, you you were in a very tough position. And also, even though I might remember some of it, we'll, we'll reopen up some of it because someone listening might not have heard the, the call or remember what we talked about. So we'll go over some of those things. But okay, so your situation is uh, you were married for, was it maybe like eight years, something like that? Uh, yes, I'm married for eight years. Eight years, right. Then yes. separated f- and the divorce was filed uh, and you started to start a relationship with someone else. Um, and then, but now your husband has come back and wants to um, be mm-hmm. with you. And now you have this dilemma of, first of all, who do you choose? And actually, I know it could seem like you have two choices, either your husband or this man, but even neither of them is also obviously a choice. And then what to do as far as who to tell and how to tell um, them. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so where? what is your question now or where are you at with your dilemma? Uh, since then, I'm, uh, I'm thinking all day about uh, making a decision because 
obviously this path is a very dangerous path. I can't continue like mm-hmm. this, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm blaming myself for the uh, for the mess uh, I created. Uh, my problem is, uh, I really think I'm paralyzed to make a decision. Uh, I'm completely stuck. Uh, I think it's perhaps I feel guilty or um, it's just I'm afraid of disappointing people. And, you know, obviously it's a very messy and mm-hmm. ugly situation I created. But first of all, when I'm trying to think, I can't even choose. And I completely appreciate last time you said that maybe it's best to uh, not come, not coming back to any or to either of them because obviously I, I have damaged this both relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I wish I could do that. I wish I could just walk away from both. But I think it's just a bit too late for me to do that. Really. Well, well, you obviously um, can. Uh, you know that that's why yeah. you know I, I get that you're in a tough situation and i think the reason why it's a hard decision and hard situation to be in and i'm glad you acknowledge you've helped create it but um no matter what you choose it's going to be hard and i think that's why you want to avoid making the decision because no matter i know you said you know you have guilt and you don't want to hurt anybody or but no matter almost no matter what you do people are going to be upset and hurt People will be upset with you and mad at you. You'll have to face what you have done even more because right now you can, you know, I think you mentioned last time even having two lives or living kind of these separate lives, but they're going to all come together. And even within your own head and within your own life, everything is going to have to to come face to face. And that's something I think you want to avoid understandably, but it doesn't mean you can avoid it. You you have to face it. You you can decide to end both, but maybe even when you say I can't do that, it it's because you feel like, well, I'll be disappointing two people. At least the other ways I'll disappoint just one person. And that's why what is very important for me is that you first think about what you want. And I think I mentioned it last week, but I'll you know bring it up again because that's very important to understand what you want. Of course, knowing that you might say what you want and become clear with everything, but the other person might not want it. But at least know what you want to then ask for that or try to create that and then see what happens. But you have to come to terms with the fact that no no matter what, you're going to hurt some people. Some people are not going to like you in this situation. And that's it. That You, know, you have to accept that, that that's uh, part of the situation. Well, I mean, I think you have to ask yourself what, you know, I think it came up last time and I'll repeat it again, just to, for the listeners, you, you mentioned that part of what you think was pushing you towards getting back with your husband was this feeling of guilt and feeling of stigma of divorce, or that being a good Iranian woman or just a good woman means you go back to your husband that those were, mm-hmm. you know, those things seem to be playing a part in your decision making. And I think it's important to really look at what you actually want, not because other people mm-hmm. will judge you. And you might even judge yourself, of course, but that shouldn't be what's making the, the decision for you. It's what you think is the best decision for you as far as what you'd like to have um, in your life. Mm-hmm. And again, just be ready that no matter which way you turn or what thoughts you have, what also will probably come into your mind is the guilt feeling of who you're going to hurt. 
But you mm-hmm. can't, not that we don't care about how people feel. Of course, you should care about how they feel. But you can't make the decision because it will hurt or won't hurt someone. You have to make the right decision. You can't, of course, continue this way, trying to make both of them happy. We know that's not going to work. You have to make the decision mm-hmm. that's right and be ready that it, someone's not going to like it. When we end a relationship, if the other person still wants the relationship, of course, they're going to be unhappy. But that doesn't mean we can stay with them to prevent hurting them or the guilt or uh, feeling sorry for them. None of those things can work. So I think you have to be ready that I imagine you thinking about this, but then every way you turn, you're like, oh, no, but then this is going to happen. Oh, but I have to tell him that. And how is he going to respond? And how is his family going to respond? And then you just go back to not wanting to make a decision. So you have to be ready that every way, no matter what you decide, it's going to be a difficult path ahead of you. And you have to be ready okay. to walk that path and be ready that the, you know, sometimes we use things like discomfort or pain as it's, how, it's an indication that we shouldn't do something. So if you're walking and your knee starts hurting, you're, you know what, I need to take a break or not walk on it. But in life, sometimes we get to places where no matter which way you go, it's going to be painful at the beginning. But it doesn't mean don't go that way. It means you have to go through this to get to a better place. And that's where mm-hmm. you are right now. No matter which way you walk next, it's going to be painful. And it's not going to mm-hmm. feel good at the beginning. But it's to, one, be right to those the, the people in your life right now and to be right to yourself and to, to live a life where you can have some peace of mind because right now you don't have mm-hmm. that. And no matter what's going on on the outside, inside your own head, you won't have peace of mind until you make a choice. Yeah. yeah, I'm hurting inside, really. Yeah. As long as I'm prolonging making a decision, I'm I'm really hurting myself. And also sure. other, uh, these other two men, really. So I just, uh, I really don't have a peace of mind, as you say. I, I'm really, in, I'm, I think I'm living in hell and living a double life. Yeah. And uh, which, you know, uh, when I look at my husband, you know, I'm afraid of going back to the same problems and the same resentment over these eight years. And then when I look at going to this um, second, ma- you know, the other guy, I'm just thinking of, um, you know, it's all guilt, guilty feelings and, um, you know, blame coming coming to my mind. So I just, either way, I think it's just uh, not going to be peace anyway, as you say. Well, it's possible, yeah. And you mentioned it yourself today that you, maybe both relationships will be too damaged to recover either of them. But that's why I think it's important yeah. for you to think of what you want, knowing that you don't have a guarantee that the other person will want it or that it will work out, but that you will try your mm-hmm. best to make that happen. The way you talk about your marriage, you don't seem to be happy there. Um, mm-hmm. When you Maybe we could talk about that. What are, when you say resentments or issues, what is it about the marriage or your husband that you don't want? Uh, it was uh, lots of issues with his family. Um, I, I really uh, think that he is very dependent on his family, his, uh, to his mother's opinion for everything. And I really never felt that I was the first person in his life. I mm-hmm. always felt that it, it was his mother and his sister, the first people in his life. And then his brother, and then after all, it was me. So I, I never felt that actually he loved me, and then he respected me. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was, uh, as I told you before, there was infidelities from his side. There was uh, there was in, infidel- infidelity, right? Is that what you said? Pardon? You said infidelity. That's what I want to make sure. I, I yes. remember. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Infidelity. A couple of times, really, online uh, on mm-hmm. dating right. sites. 
on the social media and uh, I still have lots of anger towards him and towards his family. So I'm thinking, why should I, why, why I really want this relationship? There were lots of issues. Um, okay, so answer, try to answer that question. Why do you want this relationship? I think, um, I think maybe what I'm thinking is that I also made mistakes. The last one, which was huge, was starting this relationship with the other man. So uh-huh. it's a lot of blame on me. I just, I continue blaming myself for not dealing with the problems and just looking for an alternative. Well, uh, yeah, that might be true that you did that, but because you made mistakes doesn't mean, if you're saying I made mistakes and actually I think if I didn't make those mistakes, this relationship could have worked, that's one thing. But the way you said it almost sounded more like you're saying I made mistakes, so I owe him to go back or, you know, out of my guilt, I should go back and I have almost like I have a price Mm -hmm. to pay, like a a prison sentence. I have to pay my, my, you know, the the cost of my crimes. So I have to go back and be with him. So, I mean, you might have done some things wrong. I I don't agree with obviously having a relationship when you were still married to him. Yeah, I don't think that was right. But it doesn't mean because of that you have to go back and give him what he wants if you you think what he wants is to be with you. Um, Mm -hmm. it could still mean, you know, I made mistakes, but that relationship was not right. And not to condone your mistakes or justify them, but part of what might have contributed to where you ended up was that you were so unhappy in that relationship because it wasn't right. So if it's the wrong relationship, I wouldn't say go back to it because you did something wrong. You know, those two wrongs don't make a right. I did something wrong, so I have to go back to the wrong person to, to, you know, pay my price for the crime I committed. Um, we want to make sure your decision is not made by guilt or because of guilt or to avoid guilt. That's not going to be the right reason to make the decision. Oh, I hurt my husband. That's not fair. I have to go be with him again. You know, or this man, I feel bad for him. I have to go be with him. That's not the reason you should be with either of them. It should be out of a desire to be with them. And you think it's the right relationship, not because you think uh, the guilt. And it seems like guilt is the big thing that's, uh, maybe even created part of the situation you're in, but also making it so hard for you to make a decision. Uh, it seems like that's the, the big factor here. And that's something for, worth looking at for yourself, that what does it mean about this guilt, about being maybe the good person, the nice person, who doesn't hurt anybody, who doesn't ask for what they want. Uh, and maybe you even pride yourself on that. There could be something that you... Being the nice person who never causes harm is something that's a big part of your identity and you don't want to lose that. And that's what makes it so hard for you to be like, oh my goodness, I hurt someone or I was the bad guy here and I can't accept that. And maybe you're not a bad person, but maybe you did some things that were not good. But I think you're holding on or clinging to this idea of being good. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And I really don't think his family is going to be um, uh, is really going to care about uh, me leaving this relationship? I don't think so. Uh, we are not in. I'm not in good terms with them, and they are not in good terms with me. And um, it's it's you know I get that you're you think about these things, but that even if they would be furious is not the reason to make or not make the decision. Mm-hmm. But again, I think so, it goes back to this. Does show how important it is for you how you think you're going to look to them how will my in-laws or my ex-in-laws think about me oh they won't care that much okay good i can i can do this 
you have to be able to make that decision, whatever there, that that shouldn't be the reason to stay or to go. So that's why when you're asking me, how should I think about this? You have to think about the two relationships. And again, there's, you can also be with neither of them, but if you're thinking of either of them, which one do you want? Which one you think makes the most sense as far as it being a good relationship, a good match, a good situation, and then go forward. If his mom is going to be upset or not upset should not be part of your decision making because that's not Mm -hmm. going to matter. Yeah. So you, you got you, yeah. you, and I know I remember, I think last time I said something about, I hesitated about saying, giving you, you know, saying, take some time. Cause I do think you want to take some time, but from what you're telling me, you might, we, and we talked about this last time, not make a decision either and keep putting it off. So reflect on it as you've been doing, but pretty soon you should make a choice because the situation's only going to get worse. It's not going to disappear or get any better. And maybe part of you is hoping someone else will make the decision for you. Just like you said last mm-hmm. time, why did my husband come back? It was a perfect time for him to leave. It's the mm-hmm. same kind of thing. I think you want someone else to make this decision so you don't have to be the bad guy or the one that is hurting someone. But we, we can't just wait for other we can't wait for other people to, to live our life and to make our life the way we want it to be. We have to make it. And I, you, you, I can almost guarantee you someone is not going to like you for whatever you decide and you have to be able to accept that and live with that and that's something for you to also think about why is it so hard for me to tolerate being uh, disappointing someone or upsetting someone because part of life and living your life will be that sometimes you'll disappoint people you know someone comes up to you they want to go on a date you don't like them you have to be able to tell them no you can't go on a date with them if you don't like them just because you don't want to hurt them it's actually more mean meaner to take them on their offer than to say no. So you're going to upset someone no matter what. That's going to happen for sure. So be ready for that. It's not going to be easy, but it's fair to you and to them to make the decision more quickly than to keep waiting. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I think, as you said, my major problem is I think I can't live with uh, feelings of, um, you know, guilt about disappointing people. Mm -hmm can't leave with people being upset with me exactly as you said right and i think actually because of that that's you know we this is what gets you in the kind of situations that you're in right now because we're trying to hurt nobody Mm -hmm. we actually end up hurting everybody much more i don't want you to be upset so i'll still talk to you i don't want you to be upset i'll still talk to you but actually that's the worst thing to all of them it's the meanest thing so usually this is what happens when people try to be quote unquote nice to everyone they end up actually being a lot more mean and they're actually not being very nice, you know, so I don't want to, oh, I don't want to hurt his feelings. So I don't want to say no, I don't want to hurt his feelings, but you're being worse to both of them because you're not being direct and honest. And so exactly. genuine. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. 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 As you say, I'm wasting his time. Exactly. Yeah. Especially the other man. I'm thinking, I'm thinking I'm just wasting his time and keeping him occupied. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not thinking of, um, going really seriously with him in the near future. You're not? Well, no, I do. I'm, I'm not thinking that, no. Okay, why Why not? Yeah, maybe, you know, how about this? Because I, I want to, I don't want to just say think about it. Let's talk a little bit more maybe about your decision. We talked about some of the things that might be affecting the ways you're thinking about it. But now that you brought up this issue that you don't maybe see a, a future or you don't see something long-term with him, let's talk about that some more after the break, okay? Yes, of okay. course. Thank you. Sure. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delokwi. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back. Before the break, we were with a caller. Let's go back to her now. Caller, are you still there? Hello. Yes. Okay. So um, we we're talking about the dilemma that you find yourself in, that you, mm-hmm. uh, your husband or almost was ex-husband, but he came back into the picture, but you had started a relationship with someone else. And before the break, you mentioned that with the other gentleman, the one that you, not, not your husband, you don't see a future or you don't see something long-term. So let's talk about that. Why don't you see something there? What is it about him? Um, I, 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 I think the main issue is that I don't see this relationship as particularly very heavy, um, emotionally charged. Uh, it's not very strong emotions there. I think it's not a very heavy uh, relationship in terms of emotions and the other thing is um, you know I'm, I'm feeling some rush to you know plan kids for the near future perhaps because of my age but this, how uh, old are you think, I'm 36 36 uh-huh and he is 37 mm-hmm. and I don't think he is in the same rush as me really I think he wants to take stuff very very slowly uh, although I'm very attracted to him, uh, I feel the attraction, but I'm thinking about the future, you know, uh, where I'm going to end up. If he's not in a rush uh, or he doesn't have the same speed as me, I think I will probably be uh, anxious and anxious later on about okay. this. So um, on one hand, you're saying you don't feel a strong emotional connection, but then and then also you feel like you guys might be on different timelines. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's right. All right. So, that's right. Um, so you and him have talked about having children. Yes, actually, uh, one time I brought that talk with him, and I exactly uh, said it very straight that I'm worried about my age, and you know, I just, I just want to know what do you have in your mind because I want to start planning. And he said, um, "Yeah, I think about it when time is right." And I was very really disappointed, you know, at that point. I was like. You know, I'm just asking a very clear question and you don't give a clear response to me. Um, but also you you said that to him? Was, uh, I said to him that uh, when, when do you want to plant it? I want to plant it very, as soon as possible because of my age. Right, but uh, no, no, what did, but did you tell him I asked you a clear question or you thought that uh, and you didn't say it? Uh, he didn't really answer my question. No, I know, but afterwards, you, did you say something like, well, I, I want more of a clear answer from you, or I, I'd want... Yeah, yeah, I, I, I told him, you know, I want a clear answer. Okay. And he said, yes, I want it, but, but when time is right. And I was like, I felt like it's, it's definitely not going to be in near future anyway, because you're not really giving me anything. Well, uh, but I... he's kind of... That's not so clear, you know, things were, to me necessarily that wasn't so clear. It could mean he just doesn't want kids or he doesn't know or, but he, or he felt like a pressure and he didn't know what was happening with you and him and you wanted to have kids soon and you guys haven't even obviously gotten engaged or married. So it's not very clear. So that's one thing. It would be important to, to figure out. But when you say emotionally, you don't feel something because I feel like you mentioned not feeling emotionally close to your husband either. Yes, both of them. I think with both of them, this is the same problem. Okay, so what both is the problem? Are, I think neither of them are particularly heavy on 
emotions and stuff there. Sometimes I feel like he's distant as well, but not as much as my husband. Definitely not to that extent. Okay. So there is connection to some level, but it's still not what I wanted, but it's still better than my husband. Yeah, but and there's also a connection in both of these relationships, which is you. And so maybe yeah, you don't exactly. want the closeness as much as you think you do. Maybe, maybe you're right. Because maybe I'm afraid of that. Yeah, you but, might be afraid of it too. Even the way you started the second relationship could be part of that too. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe you're more for. So I don't know if it could be these men, or it could be you, or it could be you choose men who are emotionally distant because that's safer for you. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Although I'm, I think I really try to be a bit closer to this, um, this gentleman, this, uh, this other guy. But I don't think I, uh, I kind of, I went very far. Maybe because um, we don't speak this, you know, uh, we don't speak the same language. I mean, my first language is something else, and uh, I have to speak English with him. Maybe there is just some. Type of there. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. So he's not he's not Persian. And he's not Persian. Okay. No. Yeah, but you said his family is very is involved in your guys's relationship. Yes, his family is involved now. They were actually very nice to me, and um, yeah, I have been seeing them, so they are pretty much involved. Okay, so, so let's yeah. talk about now your husband. What are you thinking about when it comes to being with him? Um, he was very, obviously he had, you know, he cheated on me a couple of times online, and uh, I called him several times, um, texting to his ex-girlfriend on social media, um, on online dating websites. Every time I called him, he said, oh, you know, I was just curious. Mm-hmm. He was just taking it so too seriously. And then uh, on top of that, now I found out that he was um, financially also very dishonest. He was um, uh, dumping money um, out of his marriage to his family, uh, a huge amount of money. And I, I had no idea. He bought a house for his brother um, without, uh, without me uh, being aware of that. So mm-hmm. I was really, really mad at him once I found out because... All of his family knew that he was going to buy a house for them overseas. The only one who didn't know was me. Hmm. And then I told him, how could you just hide this important part from me? How could, I, how could you just exclude me from all of this? I'm still very angry. And, yeah. And it's just, it's so there's obviously, a, sure, there's a lot there. So do you want to be with him? Um, yeah, that's the that's the important question. Uh, then I I think I uh, just having some hope that he will probably change or he's going to change or ha- has already changed because he's coming back to me saying that uh, he is uh, he's learned from these mistakes in the past and he's going to change in the future. So that's my only hope. Okay, I mean, you know, your delay when I you know, and I remember it last time too, and the way you talk about it, there's not a lot of excitement you have i know you mentioned your age and wanting to have a child i'm wondering if some of your thinking is also well i want to be with someone to have a kid is that part of what's contributing to your decision too yes 
Yeah, definitely. Okay. And obviously going back to your husband would be the quickest because you guys already have the history and exactly. everything. Um, exactly. uh, but I, I would really hope you don't make the decision for that reason either, that just have a kid with someone because we, you want to have the right relationship and also bring the kid into the right type of marriage and family, not just any marriage and family. And the way you talk about him, first of all, you're still very angry with him, which I'm sure you have a hard time, I'm assuming you have a hard time expressing because you don't like to upset people or make them angry. Um, and if you guys don't, if you want to be with your husband, which I don't feel very strongly, but if... I think without going through significant therapy together, it, it would not be a good idea at all. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Yeah, I, I really, I feel like if I, um, you know, I'm very aware that going to, uh, you know, going to have a kid or wanting to have a kid should not be the basis of uh, making a decision and going back to my husband. Uh, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I yeah I know that it's a part of it's a, it's a very important factor to play the part. Yeah. Well, I'm and I don't like I said for me it, it, I would hope you don't make it. I understand you don't want to lose that opportunity, um, but making it in the wrong way is going to be even worse than not not having it at all. I also you know when you say you know you're hoping that he's changed or hoping things will be different. We can hope for things to change, but we have to do the work. The hope itself is not worth anything. The work is worth something. It's like saying, I hope I learn Chinese. Well, I'm not going to learn how to speak Chinese or I'm not going to learn how to speak Mandarin if I just hope for it. I have to go work and take a class and study and keep doing the work. So if you guys just hope that things are going to be very different, when it seems like you both were unfaithful, you don't feel very close to him, you feel like he was very dishonest, I don't see that hope is not enough. Just like everyone says they've changed. They come back, oh, I'm different. I learn from my mistakes. Uh, everyone says that every time. Without any work to show that you're trying to make a change, it doesn't mean anything to me. You know, if someone says, I've, I've yeah. changed, I've changed now. You have to seize a lot of hard work. And what you're describing, the marriage you had with him was really, you said, not very close. And there's all this dishonesty. There isn't really a lot to build a relationship on. I know you've been married many years, but it seems like many years of an unhappy marriage and an unhealthy marriage. So... I don't see, you know, if you tell me about bringing a family or bringing a child into that marriage, I don't feel very good about that. Yeah, I understand that uh, before working on, us, on, on all of these issues, it's not a best idea. Um, we have been actually going to couple therapists for a number of sessions. Uh, for how long? Um, for about 10 sessions, I think. It was maximum 10 sessions we went to. But recently or before? Uh, it was it was actually uh, about uh, eight months ago. It was not recently, no. But was that after you had started the relationship with the other man or before? Uh, it was before that. Okay, okay. So it's probably it's not, you know, we have to start working. Yeah. And, yeah. and for what you're describing, 10 sessions is probably is not enough. Mm -hmm. So you have to be ready to yeah. give more than that. But did you feel the therapy was helpful at all? I think it was helpful to discuss the problems. Although I think he's a type of man who kind of he never accepts anything wrong, or uh, you know, he's just very um, he's very hesitant to accept that you know he made a mistake as well. Well, and uh, unfortunately, but, that kind of person is not very likely to change at all. So, 
that that concerns me if you know and even like the way you said he would respond to you saying you didn't like that he texted an ex-girlfriend and he said you're making a big deal he was didn't really show any empathy or understanding for how you might feel or concern for that that it, it sounds doesn't sound good and even i'm you know remembering how you talked about it last week of why did he have to come back he had a perfect chance to leave doesn't sound like you want to be with him you might mm -hmm. choose to be with him because you feel like maybe it's the lesser of two evils especially in this case of your own feeling of evil like you're doing something bad you'll feel less guilty getting back with him but to me if you bring a kid into this marriage that you know is wrong you're going to feel even more regret and guilt when you have that child living in this home with you and him so I, w I would take that very, very seriously. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, when when I confronted him about you know texting his ex girlfriend and his this uh, um, woman on uh, social media, he said that uh, why did you check my mobile in first place? Why did you check it? I'm just offended that you checked my mobile. Really, that was his first response. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, Unfortunately, his family also found out about this, and uh, they also blamed me for, you know, going to his stuff and taking his emails and stuff. So that was the situation I was in initially. So do you want to be? Do you want to be back in that situation? No, I definitely no. Yeah, and even, you know, again, I'm not going to justify what you did, but I think if you were not happy in the marriage and you chose to have an affair, it tells us the marriage was really, really not okay or again we you have to look at yourself too we can't just blame him why did you choose this marriage why do you stay in it why did you make these decisions but what you're telling me that there might be too much damage here both of you have done been unfaithful to different degrees and in different ways he's been dishonest with you you don't seem like you want to be with him you seem like you're just like okay i'll, I'll do this that's not a relationship that's not how it's supposed to go and that's definitely not the environment to bring a child in so mm -hmm. I, I would really think about it and remember whatever you decide to do you're going to disappoint people and you're going to feel guilty and you're not going to feel good but i really hope you think about it to make the choice that's the most right it's hard to say there's a right choice because i don't know what it is exactly and it's not going to be that yeah. clear but really think about if you choose to be in a relationship that you want to be in it that it's something you want to be in you have hope that's not just based on hope in the sky, but actually there's something there and that you guys are working on something or you might leave both relationships and create something better from scratch or from, from starting from zero, but that'll be better than going into a bad relationship just because it's already there. If the foundation is bad, building a building on top of it's going to be worse, you know? So um, I would really think about that and come to that decision soon and go forward. It's going to be tough. Uh, but I really hope that you'll make it for the reasons that are more right than just out of guilt or convenience or because of time or how people are going to judge you. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, also, I'm thinking about, you know, uh, how if I kind of regret my decision later on in the future and two years down the line, I just regret my the decision I'm making today. I think it's part of my fear as well. Sure, and you might, and that also, you know, we were talking about the um, you know, paralysis by analysis. You can think about all that and then that makes you not want to make a decision. But I also want you to recognize that you're making a decision right now. 
you know, inaction is still a choice. So to think because you haven't done anything as far as telling them anything means you're not making a choice. Every day you're making a choice to keep both relationships alive, to not tell them. That's a choice too. So don't fool yourself by thinking, well, I don't want to make a decision. You're making a decision every day. And so it's yeah. about trying to make the right choice. So, I, you know, I, I don't want you to keep putting it off because, like I said, you can call me back in six months and say, I still don't know what to do. It's never going to feel right what you have to do. So I hope you'll just make a decision, go forward, and then, you know, live with the consequences and, and the circumstances. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you very much. Dr. Sure. Harry. Thanks for your call. Good luck. Thank you very right. much. Take care. Bye bye. All right. We'll reach our next commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. Back. You know, at the last caller, this idea came up with this issue of trying not to hurt people or trying to make a decision that hurts nobody, make everybody happy, uh, and trying to be nice. And I don't want to talk specifically about her, but it did make me want to talk about this issue of trying to be nice, which many of us think is the good thing to do is to be nice. And by nice, usually what we mean is don't say anything that hurts anybody. Don't make any decisions that nobody likes. Don't make any jokes or comments or opinions. Don't disagree. Basically, it's avoiding all conflict or any kind of confrontation at whatever cost. And we think this is being nice. But really, this is not genuine niceness or genuine kindness when we do this. It's not actually being a good person or doing the right thing, even though it feels like it, or you might get reinforcement from other people that you're doing the right thing. It's not genuinely being kind. And actually, if you were to tell me, you know, I've never done anything that upset anyone, or I never, you know, gone into a confrontation or conflict, that would actually tell me you are not a very nice person. You're not a genuinely kind person. Because to be genuinely kind and nice means also to be genuine and to be real and to actually tell the truth. Because that type of kindness and niceness actually means a lot of lying and hiding the truth, not being who you are, and not actually letting people know things that they probably should know. Because what we mean by nice in those types of ways is about avoiding conflict or avoiding guilt. I don't want to feel bad. So one way we see this in the dating world is that people have a hard time letting someone know they're not interested or trying to end something or even even at the beginning, maybe one or two dates in. And we think because I want to be nice or because I don't want to hurt them, I'm not going to tell them how I feel or that I'm not interested and, and I'll kind of let them figure it out or I'll slowly pull away because I'm nice, because I don't want to hurt them. But what you're doing is much more mean than being direct and honest with them from the beginning. Even though that does mean you might face some of their anger in the moment or disappointment or sadness, and it might be an uncomfortable conversation, it likely will be, but you're not being nicer or there's no kindness in avoiding telling them the truth about how you feel because all you're doing is prolonging the pain and the process that they have to go through and figuring this out. But the part you actually like is that you don't have to be there when 
they get that disappointment. You won't have to actually face it. That's what you're doing. You're not trying to be nicer. You're just saying, oh, it'd be so awkward for me to tell them either face to face or even on text or on the phone that I'm not interested. What I'd rather do is for this guy or this girl to figure it out on their own and I won't have to be there and deal with it. So you're actually not doing it out of kindness or niceness. You're doing it to protect yourself, to avoid your guilty feelings, to avoid the anxiety and the discomfort of having that conversation. It's not coming from a kind place. You know, people say, oh, well, how could I tell him I don't like him? That would hurt his feelings. So I'd rather let him figure it out over two weeks by responding less frequently to him or whatever else I'm going to do. And there's ghosting and benching and all these different terms for ways that people do things. But all of them are really avoiding and avoiding to protect ourselves, not to really care or take care about of anyone else. People even do this when it comes to relationships. They'll stay with someone out of guilt of hurting them. Well, you know, I, you know, if I break up with him, it's going to break his heart or it's going to break her heart or it's going to make them sad. And so I'm going to stay with them. And it's really quite interesting because in that moment, the kind of the self-righteousness and how good you can feel about yourself. Look how nice I am. Uh, I'm, you know, essentially I'm a martyr, right? I'm sacrificing myself to keep this person happy or to prevent their pain. And we think we're being so good to them. But really, you were being probably more mean than anyone has ever been to them ever or doing one of the worst things you can do to them because you're doing a few things. First of all, you're saying that this person is deserving of my pity and I'm going to stay with you out of pity or guilt. And because a few things, one is that if I break up with you somehow, it's saying I'm better than you or I, I'm, I'm um, you know, deserve better than you, which is not necessarily the case. It's usually more a, an idea of fit or not being a match, um, but also what you're doing is preventing them from being with someone that actually wants to be with them. So if you look at that person, and hopefully if you're in a relationship with someone, you see them as someone valuable, if you don't feel that value or connection in the way that you want or you should, staying with them is preventing them being with someone who wants them 100%. You're not doing any favors by staying with them. So we really should recognize that all we're doing is we're trying to, again, avoid the guilt that we're going to feel by breaking up or ending the relationship and even maybe avoiding our own sadness of the relationship ending and whatever else it might be. But by telling ourselves, I'm not breaking up with them because I'm so nice, that's really lying to ourselves and almost the opposite of the truth. So that word nice, actually, I think it kind of describes it well, nice in that way, it's different than kindness. Nice is just the appearance of looking good, of avoiding guilt, of avoiding that discomfort or of being the good guy or being the good girl. But it's not genuine kindness. Because when we're actually genuine and when we're assertive, and this is why when we talk about being assertive, I think it's such a valuable trait because it means being, the only way you can be genuine is if you're willing to be assertive. And being assertive means that I'm going to share what I feel and what I think no matter if it's going to hurt someone or not. I care about how they feel, but I'm going to let them know how I feel. Not going to step on their toes to tell them I'm not going to be aggressive, but I'm also not going to be passive. I'm just going to let them know how I actually feel. Knowing that it could lead to conflict and confrontation because people have differing opinions, they have different wants and desires, and they're not always going to match up and align the things we want and someone else wants. And because of that, there's going to be conflict, but I'm going to be real with them. 
And this is a problem that a lot of people have if they are passive and you try to encourage them to be more assertive. The reason why, one of the reasons they're being passive is because they're trying to avoid conflict. And so you say, you know, being assertive is good and we, we should try to, to strive towards being more assertive. And when they start to be more assertive, they have more conflict all of a sudden like, hey, you told me this was a good thing and now I'm experiencing conflict and all these things that I didn't want to experience. So it's a bad thing. But that's because your idea of conflict is that it's a horrible thing, that I'm guilty if I do something someone else doesn't like. I'm a bad person if I upset someone or don't give them what they want. But that's not true. And you're not being a good person by giving someone what they want when you don't want it. And most people who are nice in this way, who are not assertive, in these moments they can seem very nice and people might praise them for it. But what you see long term is they build up resentment towards the people that they are being so nice to because they keep doing things that they don't want. They keep putting away their own feelings, wants, and desires and take care of other people and do what they want. And they get very little recognition. And when you set up a pattern, most people follow it. If you keep saying, hey, I'll do this for you. I'll do this for you. I'll do this for you. People start to think, hey, she likes to do it or he likes to do it. So, okay, no problem. Yeah, thank you. And they don't think about changing the pattern. But you start to get upset because like this is so unfair. I keep doing things for people and they don't do it back for me. How dare he or how dare she? But we don't recognize that we've created that pattern because it's more comfortable for you. I feel better when I give people what they want or if I anticipate their needs or if I show that I don't have any needs. Maybe it's from my own lack of self-esteem, my own feelings of that no one wants to do things for me, whatever, wherever it might be coming from, but you've created this pattern in the cycle that you are now complaining about. And so you'll very often see people who are nice in this way, who keep doing things that other people want, they eventually blow up because they're so upset about the way things are and they can't believe how unfair it is and they can't believe that the person walked all over them or never did anything back for them or never asked them how they were doing or whatever it might be and they're so upset so we see that they actually weren't being kind because they didn't want to do it and they didn't feel good about it they actually felt bad about it and also they're not realizing how they have created this situation They've created the conflict or this now internal conflict and the resentment that they're having. So being nice is a very dangerous thing when it's nice in this way. And being nice is not something we should strive towards. To be actually a genuinely good person, you're going to have to upset people sometimes. You're going to have to have conflicts. And most people actually want someone to be genuine with them. So they know what they're feeling and thinking. If you are so passive and always telling people you're happy or you're okay or you like anything, they never really know, are you happy or unhappy? Do you like what we're doing or you don't like what we're doing? Are you okay with what I said or you're not okay with what I said? And that's a lot harder to deal with than someone that says, you know what? I didn't like that. That kind of bothered me. Or I don't want to do that today. I'd rather do this. What do you think? Let's talk about it. That's actually someone that you can rely on and count on and feel like you genuinely know. So we have to get rid of this idea that being nice is a goal that we want to achieve and we want to move towards being genuine. And then by being genuine, you can express genuine kindness. I'm saying this nice thing because I feel it and I want to say it to you. I'm doing this nice thing because it feels good to me, irrespective of how you're going to actually respond to it. I want to do this kind act. That's genuine kindness when we are actually detached from the response we're going to get. But if I'm being nice to you, so that you'll like me and be nice back to me, 
that's not genuine kindness. That's doing something to get something back. That's an exchange. Kindness and niceness are very different. And we want to move towards being more genuine, being more real, and away from just trying to be nice and make sure we don't make anyone unhappy or avoid conflict at any cost. Because what you end up doing when you try to be nice in that way is that you'll find that you can't make everyone happy. It's not going to work. And even more important than that, you're not going to be happy. You're not going to feel good because your own needs don't get met. Your own feelings don't get valued. Your thoughts and ideas don't get heard. And you're going to be unhappy and start to resent the people around you. So we want to make sure we're not just trying to be nice for niceness's sake, but genuinely be genuine and show genuine kindness. All right, we've reached our next commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dalakwi. We'll be right back. back in the previous segment i was talking about being nice and uh, the way that we sometimes try to be nice meaning that we don't hurt anyone's feelings we don't upset anyone and we make everyone like us by being nice and how it actually isn't a genuine kindness it's more about trying to avoid guilty feelings avoid conflict avoid the anxiety of what happens if we disagree and all those other things are fueling it more than coming from an actual good place Genuine kindness means that you aren't always nice in that way. You aren't always going to say the thing that the person likes to hear because you're being genuine to yourself. And so I also brought up the idea of being assertive, meaning that we state what we think and we feel, and we can see communication on a continuum. On the left side, we have being passive, which means, as I was saying about being nice, you avoid conflict, you don't say what you think or feel if you think someone else might not not like it you go along with whatever people are saying just to avoid upsetting them making them like you avoid conflict and all those things that's being passive on the other end of the spectrum on the right side we have being aggressive which means that we it's either our way or the highway and we're gonna say things in a strong way maybe even use aggression if we have to and getting someone to to cave in to give us what we want. And so we don't necessarily respect the other person's side. We don't really hear them out. We're focused on what we want and what we think, and that's what matters. But in the middle, we have being assertive, which means that I'm going to state what I think and I feel and I want in a respectful way. I'm not going to step on anyone's toes, but I'm also not going to let anyone walk over me either. This is what I think and I feel, and I think it's valuable. And I also think what you think and feel is valuable. And I want to hear that. So there's an openness and an exchange. There isn't one person being better than anyone else. Everyone is equal. And actually, if we look at um, what will allow you to be assertive or what has to be underneath that is this idea that all people are equal, that everyone you're interacting with is equal. So their thoughts and their feelings and ideas are worth being listened to and worth being respected. And every person deserves to be respected. If you're passive, in a way you're saying people are better than you. Their ideas are more valuable than you. Your feelings don't matter. Their feelings matter more. Your ideas don't matter. Their ideas are more right or better. And so there's this idea that you're less than others. When people are aggressive, even though I would say that it likely comes from a place of insecurity, but nonetheless, when you're being aggressive, the way you're at least communicating is that I'm better than you. 
what I have to say, what I think, what I feel is more important than what you think, feel, and your ideas. And so the way I present them is in a way that what I have to say is more important than you. What I feel is more important than what you feel. What I think is better, more important, and more right than what you think. And that's the aggressive mindset. But if we're coming from an assertive place, there's an egalitarian part where we're all have equal value. Now, yes, if we're talking to a doctor, their medical advice or ideas about medicine, we should value more than our own. So it doesn't mean that everyone's ideas about everything are exactly equal, but it does mean as far as respect goes, everyone is equally worthy of respect. And when it comes to things like feelings, we're going to care about everyone's feelings. And so I care about all people's feelings, including my own. I care about all people's thoughts, including my own and all people's ideas, including my own. So I share my own very clearly and directly. You ask me what I think, I tell you what I think. You ask me what I feel, I let you know what I feel. And again, it's not in a way that impinges or uh, tries to make someone else feel bad or put them down, but you just let them know. And it doesn't mean that you won't hurt anybody because again, when you disagree, some people won't like that. Some people do prefer people to be passive and to agree with everything that they say but you're saying i'm going to respect myself and what i think and what i feel so we want to be assertive means that we're going to be genuine and be more direct and because of that we have to be ready for conflict and most people when we even hear that word conflict we think of something really negative or we think of a heated argument or we think of people getting into a physical altercation or fight. And we think of these negative things, but conflict just means that we have opposing views or ideas about something or we're upset about with each other about something, but it doesn't have to be something really bad. And so bringing this into the realm of romantic relationships, we have to be willing to face conflict. I always talk about having the uncomfortable and difficult conversations. We have to be willing to have them. And usually when it is a difficult conversation, it very often means there's some kind of conflict there. There's something where there's a mismatch, and that's what makes it a difficult conversation. Something, maybe the mismatch is within us, but usually it's about something we have with the person that we are close to. And in the book that I just talked about on Monday's show, gosh, I think it was The Science of Fa Couples and Family Therapy by John and Julie Gottman, one quote they had that I actually really liked was from a psychologist named Dan Weil, and that was, choosing a partner is choosing a set of part of problems. Let me say that again. Choosing a partner is choosing a set of problems. And so basically what that means, and or that what that means to me, is that no matter who you choose, you're going to have some issues or problems with them. Maybe with one person, you won't have a certain conflict, but with someone else, you would have something that would conflict. So some of that conflict is going to come from you. Some of it's going to come from them, but especially it's going to come from the match and mismatch between you and them. If you're both very on time everywhere you go, okay, then that probably won't be an issue. But if one of you is very big on being punctual and on time and gets anxiety about being late and the other person is chronically late everywhere they go, well, then you could have an area of conflict with them there. And that's kind of how it goes. So no matter who you're going to be with, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be issues. And actually, uh, the Gottmans talk a lot about our resolvable and unresolvable conflicts or solvable and unsolvable conflicts. And what they have found is that it's not that happily married couples resolve every single fight that they have or that every issue they have 
they come to some agreement where they both see it the same way. They actually find that happily married couples tend to have some unsolvable conflicts, some issues that are always kind of just there. Uh, for example, this can be one of them, like what I said, being on time and being late. They try to work on it and they seem that they can't see eye to eye or they can't make things work. And it's just something they might always deal with. And that can be okay. It's whether or not your unsolvable conflicts are big enough that they are make the relationship unable to continue. Um, and also if both people can actually at least respect the other person's view or the way that they are. If Even if I don't agree, I respect that you see things differently. And what the Gottmans also talk about is underneath these unsolvable conflicts, usually there's something deeper about their the person's mean dreams or meaning of life or what means something to them there's something deeper usually going on than just what's on the surface and what can be important is for a couple to dig a little bit deeper ask each other and genuinely want to know what does this issue mean to them why is it so meaningful to them and sometimes that itself can be eye-opening and give some perspective that can be helpful it still might not fully resolve the conflict and mean that both people will see things the same way but it can help them have a better respect for one another and understand why it means so much to them and why it's so hard for them to budge or see things a different way but nonetheless we have to be ready to have conflicts and fights and arguments and rather than seeing these as negative things which is what we usually think up oh, we had a conflict we had a fight what we actually can hopefully see is that we can not look forward to them like they're fun but almost because they're going to help keep the relationship healthy and going and allow for you and your partner to get closer without those conflicts without those arguments you're not actually going to get to be very close with one another so as i always say it's not if you fight it's how you fight if you fight in a way that's disrespectful and hurtful and you're putting your partner down and you're just getting more and more distant from each other well that's going to be very hurtful to the relationship but if you can have arguments and disagreements where you're able to maintain your calm you are able to maintain respect this is very important the Gottmans have this in their research a lot where they find that the healthy and happy couples even in a fight they maintain respect for one another it's very important some people think that well if you're arguing and fighting you can say anything and they say yeah i was fighting and that's why i said that thing or threw that thing at you or i hit you because we were fighting and it's okay no that's not the case even in the midst of a fight you have to be able to maintain that respect for your partner it's very very important disrespect is poison to the relationship it's going to damage it and it can't uh, survive if there is disrespect if you have disrespect in your relationship it's not going to last too much longer or at least it won't be happily married you might stay married because a lot of people stay married in unhappy marriages but you're not going to have a healthy and happy marriage once disrespect seeps into the conversations but if you can maintain respect during your arguments actually listen to one another you can find that those are the things that will make you much closer and you've probably experienced this if you've had a healthy argument or disagreement with someone that afterwards you feel very close to them you feel closer than you did before because you've now actually understood one another better now i understand oh this hurts you 
And not only did this hurt you, but because we talked about it more, I understand why it hurts you. It makes sense to me. I feel like I understand you in a deeper way. And you can understand why I might have said or did what I did in a deeper way too. And because of that, we also can make changes that will be beneficial to our relationship as well. I won't hurt you in that same way anymore because I understand how it hurts you. So if we have the trust in one another, if we have a positive feeling towards one another, which is very important, the quality of that friendship between you and your partner is going to be so significant in determining how healthy your relationship will be. If I feel good about you and I feel that I can trust you and that you care about me, then when we enter the arena of conflict, I don't see you as my opponent or someone to be afraid of. I see you as my partner and my teammate. And it's not me against you. And we're trying to see who's going to win, who's better, who's worse, who's right, who's wrong, who's a good husband or wife or who's the bad husband or wife. It's not me against you. It's me and you together against this conflict or this issue. We're working as a team to try to make things better. We're against this conflict, not against each other. We're trying to win together, not win against one another. And that actually makes it that conflict can be a place where we feel comfortable, or at least more comfortable. I say that so people don't think that if a conversation feels uncomfortable, we should avoid it. Almost always conflict will still feel slightly uncomfortable, but it's important that we recognize that if we handle them better and we keep having these conversations that go more smoothly, what you'll find is that you won't be as afraid of them because you won't expect it to go so bad and you'll expect that one, this will help the relationship uh, be stronger and better and two, it's not so bad and I have faith that we can resolve this together. So it's not that scary. Uh, an important component, and there are several, to having a good argument or disagreement is what John Gottman talks about as a soft startup, meaning that the way you begin the conversation is very important and can help determine how the conversation is going to go. What he has found is how we start the conversation is very often how the conversation ends as far as the emotional tone. So if you start by attacking your partner with a lot of anger, it almost definitely is going to end bad. Even if in the middle things go okay, you're almost definitely going to have a bad conflict and a bad result to that conversation if you start it with anger and attacking. But if you can start with kindness, maybe even say something nice about your partner first and say whatever it is you're upset about using I statements with a very specific complaint rather than criticizing your partner and putting them down or judging them in some way. That can make it much more likely that the conversation goes well and you end up in a good place. Another thing that healthy couples do or the masters of conflict do as opposed to the disasters in conflict is that they do it, they make repair attempts that work. Now, what's a repair attempt? That means that when the conversation starts getting tense, for example, one of the partners might make a joke, not a joke that insults the other person or undermines their feelings, but some kind of shared humor, something that they enjoy together. And this will, in a way, break the tension of the moment. And this will actually make it so that rather than escalating the conflict, things will de-escalate. And there'll be a moment of connection rather than continued disconnection. And so we see that happy couples tend to do this. 
not really they do it on purpose or intentionally, but they seem to do this. I remember one story that John Gottman shares in The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work was that husband and wife were having a fight and it was getting kind of heated and the husband sticks out his tongue at the wife, which is exactly how their four-year-old tends to do it during that time. And they both start kind of cracking up laughing. And it brings us shared connection, shared feeling of positivity that totally changes the course of the disagreement. So if you can make these types of attempts, it's not always going to be a joke. Sometimes it's even something like saying, hey, you know, I know this is getting really tough or heated, but I just want you to know I love you. Or I know this is getting intense, but, you know, we're in this together and I think we're going to figure it out. Something that shows that we're in this together. We're connected. I still love you even during this fight. Those kinds of things in the middle of an argument and disagreement can be very valuable in changing the course of how things go, to go away from negativity into positivity and ending in a positive way rather than both people feeling unhappy or dissatisfied. So this is just some, you know, a glimpse into some of the, the things that are involved in conflict. And uh, John Gottman has written a lot about it. And in that book that I shared, there is a lot about conflict in there and how we can handle it well or handle it poorly, but we can see that conflict shouldn't be something that we are afraid of or scared of or think of as something negative. It could be something that we have to realize is necessary. We have to deal with it in any relationship and it can help maintain a healthy and happy relationship and lead to our closeness. So if we have that perspective that arguments and fights aren't these scary things. And that means that we have to have a partner that also will come into it with that same mentality, won't try to hurt us or attack us, but sees it in this way. If we have that kind of friendship and we have that trust in our relationship, then we can see that these fights and these arguments are not scary things and things we have to be afraid of. We can face them and embrace them and recognize this is actually going to be part of our romance, part of what's going to make our marriage strong. So we can't avoid conflict. We have to face them and recognize the value that they have both in keeping our marriage healthy, but also promoting and cultivating closeness and intimacy between us and our partner. All right, going into our last commercial break, studio number 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadir Jalakwi. We'll be right back. Back. As I mentioned at the top of the show, I'll be doing another seminar next Sunday here in Los Angeles, June 24th, from 3 to 6 p.m. at the Olympic Collection. The last seminar I did was, it started at 1, so I hope people note that different start time, 3 to 6 p.m. Um, on June 24th, and the, the topic is going to be success. And what I'll talk about in that seminar, and as I mentioned at the top of the show, one of the big things for me is that there's ways that we define success or we think of success that to me are very much off the mark. And because of that, we have the recipe wrong. So even when you use the recipe, you get the result, but you're not happy with the result. So if you have a re recipe for some kind of uh, meal, you're trying to bake a cake, but you have a recipe that even if you do it right, the cake comes out tasting bad. That's what ends up happening. You do everything you think is right, but you end up with a bad result. And so when we tend to think of successful people, and if you think about it right, right now, most people tend to think of someone who is rich and famous, 
who has a lot of money, who gets a lot of attention, who gets a lot of praise. And that word get is a big part of it, right? They have a lot of things. They get these things. And that's what we think of as successful. Someone who's rich, if we see someone in a really nice car, we think, oh, she's successful because they have a really nice car or they have a lot of money. But to me, this is getting the whole recipe backwards. Rather than success being about what you get and what you receive, I see success and I see someone being a success based on what they give. It's not what you get, it's what you give that makes you successful. And that's something that I'll definitely focus on in the seminar because I think because of having this recipe backwards, we see a lot of people very unhappy because they're living their life and they think, okay, what do I need to be happy and successful? And then based on what they see in the world, they say, okay, it's to be rich or to be famous and to have a lot of followers on social media and to get a lot of likes. These are the things that mean success. So let me go towards that. And most people don't get there and that leads them feeling unhappy and maybe like a failure and feeling bad about themselves, which is really bad. But then maybe even worse in a way, many people get there and they see that they're actually not happy. They don't feel good because the recipe was wrong. So they get to what they thought was their goal and what was going to make them happy and make them lose some feeling of inferiority within themselves or some unhappiness or dissatisfaction with life. And then they see that it might be exciting for a little while, but that quickly goes away because those things aren't very valuable. They don't mean much and they don't actually make the person happy. So if we realize that rather than what we get, we focus on what we give, then we actually can start to live a successful and meaningful life. So what do I mean by what you give? I definitely don't mean giving of yourself in a way that hurts you. Or someone might think, oh, I'm someone who just gives to people all the time and I never take care of myself. I'm such a giving person. And this actually is reminiscent of what I was talking about a few segments ago of being nice where you're nice to the point where you're trying to make everyone else happy and give them what they want, but you're never happy or getting your own needs met. And this is not a recipe for any kind of happiness. It's a recipe for misery of yourself and the people around you. People don't want to see you be a martyr. So when I say give, I mean give from your strength, give from your talents and abilities and the skills you've developed in yourself through hard work and dedication. That's what I mean by giving. And I really like what Eric Fromm says about giving and receiving. What he talks about is usually we've all heard that adage, it's better to give than to receive. And usually the way we think about it is that giving is more painful. So in that way, it makes it more noble. I'm a better person because I did the thing that's more painful. So it's better to give than to receive. I'm a good person because I did the thing that doesn't feel as good. But what Eric Fromm talks about is that it's not that giving is receiving because it's more painful. It's actually giving is better than receiving because through giving, I get to feel my own vitality and strength. I get to feel good about myself in that way that look that I can give. And again, this is when we're talking about giving in genuine kindness. I'd like to give this to someone else. I'd like to do this kind act for someone else because it's part of my strength and ability. If I go and help someone with something, let's say push their car because it's stalled, in that moment, I get to feel the kindness of my action, but even the vitality of my physical strength that I could help them 
in this way. It feels good to feel that. It's not because it hurt for me to push their car that it feels good. It should feel good because I was helping them and I also got to get tap into my own strength. So we find that what becomes meaningful and what makes us feel good is when we give, not when we focus on what we get. And we can think about someone who, for example, wants to be a singer. And actually, before I even get into that, one thing I should mention is that I don't see becoming rich and well-known or rich and famous, making a lot of money as negative things. So I'm not saying that if you made money or if you have a lot of fame, that person is necessarily not a success. But what I'm saying is that not, that's not how we should measure success. So if we take two people who want to be a singer, they both probably would like to become well-known for being a singer. And that to me is okay. But their intention is important to me. If your intention is, I want to be a singer so that I get all this money and fame and people all know my name and I have millions of followers on social media and people want to be with me sexually and in relationships and whatever it is, they all want my uh, time and my attention. I want to just get all that from people. That's one person. Another person might say, I want to be a singer because I think I have a wonderful voice I love music. I'm passionate about it. I think that I can create songs and create music that will help people maybe in tough times or will actually cheer them up when they're in a bad place or connect to their sadness. But there's some gift I think I have, some ability and talent I have as a singer. And I want to continue developing that by vocal training and working with people and working on my craft and studying music to be the best singer I can be. And I want to share this gift with others. And as a result of that, I might become rich and famous and that will feel good. It's not that that I won't like, but my intention is to share this art and to share this gift. Both people might pursue similar paths in a way, but their intention is very different. And then in all likelihood, the person who wants to become rich and famous, and that's their only intention in being a singer, even if they achieve that fame and that wealth, they likely won't be happy very long. But the person who is singing because they want to share their gift, that person will likely feel very good based on what they are doing. And so that's what I mean by it's about what you give and not what you receive in the way that we should measure success in other people and in ourselves. So when you look at yourself, you should be thinking, how can I give more to this world or how can I give the most to this world? First of all, what are my unique skills and talents that I have? What do I think are my strengths? And that's probably where I want to focus where I give. And not just I have these skills and innate ability, so I am just a talent and that's all. No, I might have these unique gifts that I think are my strengths, but I need to work on them. I need to develop them to become the best I can be at whatever it is I'm going to do. So it's not enough just to have this gift and I'm the chosen one and I should just uh, sit back and relax and I'm going to be good at it. No, I have to work hard. And as I always say, I don't just have to work hard for myself. I have to work hard because I owe it to the world to become the best version of myself, to give the most that I can, both for me and the world to get that. So because I've been talking about a singer, I need to work on myself so I create the best music I can to be the best performer I can to write the most moving songs or the most exciting songs or whatever it might be. The world deserves that and I deserve that to work hard. So hard work isn't something that 
we do as a chore or do because people make us. We do it because we get to work hard. You're so lucky to develop yourself in a way and you owe it to the world, but you're lucky to develop yourself in the best way that you can. So you become as strong as you can be, the best that you can be, and that way you actually give even more or you can give more. The better you are, the stronger you are, the more refined your skills and your talents, the better the gifts and the more you can share with the world. If you're going to be a surgeon, you study all the newest techniques and you keep learning. You're not done learning. You study hard to understand the human body, understand all the the issues that you're going to be dealing with, and you keep getting better at it so that you can help people even more. If your focus is just, wow, if I become a surgeon, I make a lot of money, you might be right, but to me, that's not being a success. If your focus is, I want to be the best that I can be at this, so I'm helping the most people in the best way possible by reducing the amount of pain and discomfort, by potentially saving lives, by improving lives, that should be the intention. And I want to be the best I can be at it so that I can help the most people. Even I can speak for myself. I find it very motivating when people sometimes will give me positive feedback or say, we find your show helpful or we find that it's comforting to hear what you have to say or you're trying to further reduce that stigma. And that always fuels me to want to work even harder, to study more, to learn more. And I know I can work even harder than I do, but it does push me to want to work as hard as I can to be the best that I can be in doing what I'm doing to help the most people, to try to create the most positive change that I can in the world, to help further reduce the stigma that's attached to mental illness that causes so much pain for people, that leads even to suicides that are preventable if we were able to talk. And so those are the things that motivate me to want to work harder, to keep trying my best to do the best that I can and to become the best that I can become, to do more and to help more. So when we shift our focus from trying to get to trying to give, And when we realize that when we close our eyes and we think of successful people, that unfortunately we tend to think of those who have gotten the most, who have the most money, who have the most fame, that we have it backwards. That really we should be thinking about the people who give the most. Who are the people that have contributed to the world? Who are the people who have developed their skills and talents and focus on giving to the world? That to me is true success. And when we do something like that, when we create that type of success, we create a life that is meaningful. We create a life where what we're doing every day means something and we value it. And that's what's going to lead to long-term happiness or a long-term good feeling. When I say happiness, it doesn't mean every moment you're just going to feel good, not that type of happiness, but the happiness where there's contentment and fulfillment and you're living a life of meaning, where you feel good about your life. When you reflect on a day or a week or a month or a year, I'm happy with what I've done, the choices I've made, the things I've contributed, the people I've helped. That's what's going to lead to a feeling of fulfillment that's actually deep and meaningful, rather than the emptiness that we can feel when it comes to things like fame and money. There's not a depth in that that allows us to feel we're living a meaningful life. Only when we do things that contributes to others, when we're living a meaningful life, will we actually achieve a contentment that is more long-lasting and fulfilling and will help us feel good. So in the seminar that I'm having, that's going to be 
the focus is on getting people to see what success is not because what we tend to think of success is not really what I think it is and what it actually is. And then also in the second half of the segment, focusing on living a meaningful life and helping us see how can we find that meaning in life to live our successful life. Because my successful life is different than yours and different from the person sitting next to you. Everyone has their own success or their own way of living a meaningful life that they need to find. As Viktor Frankl says, meaning... The meaning of life is not a question that we ask of life. It's a question that life asks of us to find the meaning in our life. So that seminar is going to be next Sunday, June 24th from 3 to 6 p.m. at the Olympic Collection. Tickets are $40 at the door. Hope to see you there. Um, we've reached the end of today's show. Thank you to Rahman here in the studio and the callers and the listeners. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Jalakwi. Have a wonderful day. Mm-hmm.